morning comes from gospel, the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 1 through 12. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. May God bless to our understanding the reading from this, His Holy Word. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would send your Spirit now, the Holy Spirit who got a hold of Luke to report on these events, that that same Spirit would open our hearts and our ears to the Word you have for us, and help me to preach a word that is faithful to you. We pray it in the name of our risen Lord Jesus, who is here among us now. Amen. A parable is a story that uses metaphors to talk about God, to talk about life, to talk about faith. And Jesus taught a lot of things in parables. And over the Sundays, since the very beginning of the year, since January, we have been going through the parables of Jesus. Every Sunday we have taken at least one parable, sometimes more. Jesus used parables to teach about the kingdom of God. That was his way of talking about the kingdom of God. But when it came to his life and his purpose... And what he did, he didn't use parables. When it came to who Jesus was and why he came, particularly his rising from the dead, which we celebrate today, there were no parables needed. Now there are those who think that the resurrection is just another parable, just merely a metaphor. You know, I'm saddened to say that many of those people are theologians. 
pastors, Bible teachers. You know, the very people you think would be most compelling when it comes to proclaiming Jesus Christ risen from the dead don't always think that. And it's sad that today you can go to a church just like this and it doesn't mean that the person preaching or those gathered there think Jesus actually rose from the dead. The language is used, but press them, press them, and they will, you'll find out they mean something very different from the historic, orthodox, biblical Christian faith. Just earlier this year, I, was at a, I heard a, a, very, a very prominent New Testament scholar has written books, has been on NPR, uh, has, uh, teaches at a major university. I heard him speak at a, a, a conference that purported to be a Christian conference. I guess there were Christians there. And he flat out said, you know, Jesus didn't really raise, rise from the dead. And that a lot of things in the Bible are just plain wrong. And he was praised, he was applauded by many pastors, by many Christian leaders who were going to go back to their churches, go back to their communities, and tell everybody the good news that resurrection really didn't happen. You know, many contemporary Bible interpreters figure the Jesus they read about in the Gospels can't possibly be real. Therefore, those healings, those miracles, the things about him, and certainly his resurrection is a mistake. Now, the Bible and our faith can and needs to be questioned. It is okay to doubt. It is okay to wrestle. It is okay to wonder. In fact, if you don't wonder about Jesus being dead for three days and coming alive again, you haven't really thought about it or wrestled with it. And I don't think you can possibly then believe it. You've got to doubt at times. You've got to wonder at times. That's part of faith. That's part of building our faith. But there is a dishonesty going on in many churches today where pastors and leaders use the terminology and they talk about some of the most basic beliefs of the Christian faith, but they don't really believe it, nor do they actually mean what they say. Well, you might ask, what, then what do people mean when they say Jesus is risen if they don't really believe he actually came out of a tomb alive again? Well, they say that the gospel is really just about living a good life. Uh, the resurrection, they mean, is a spiritual experience. Jesus' disciples, they mean, were just kind of caught up in a transformed situation, they say. By Jesus is alive, they mean, well, they had a new experience of Jesus' love. Uh, and, and the memory of Jesus lives on in our hearts and in our minds. Some say that when the disciples went to the tomb, their minds were so filled with light that, that, that they were just overcome and it didn't even matter to them that there was not a body there. They didn't even really notice. In essence, they say that the resurrection is really, it's a metaphor. It's a parable about life and love and transformation. Kind of Pinocchio with religion, that's all. Well, if the resurrection was just some internal, subjective, emotional experience. I wonder if the disciples and those earliest believers would have actually convinced people that Jesus had risen from the dead. They seem to do a very good job of this historically. Would they have run around saying, you know, the time for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, to hear the gospel has now come. And that there is a message that needed to be taken to the world no matter what the cost will be to us. And that the kingdom of God was here, and you know what? Rome is no longer in charge, and we're not scared to say it. 
You know, the point and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that there is nothing in human experience that prepares us for this or that relates to this. It is beyond human language. It is beyond categories that make any sense. It is wild. It is unfathomable. It is mind-blowing. It is totally different from anything else that we can possibly relate it to. And just because I can't grasp it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Is our God that small? No one was prepared for what happened on that morning. The women who first went to Jesus' tomb were not expecting resurrection. When they saw the stone rolled away from the tomb and Jesus' body gone, they said, it says, they were, they were wondering about this. Now, if they had been expecting something called a resurrection, they would have said, aha, we have, oh yeah, aha, we have someone rising from the dead. Oh sure, this makes sense to us. But of course they didn't. That was the point. Luke also tells us that the women were frightened. They were scared out of their minds. Then there's the reaction of the apostles when the women go and they tell them what they saw. And the apostles thought this was nonsense. So no one was expecting this. Nobody had any categories to say, ah, yeah, resurrection. Peter wants to see for himself what's going on. He runs to the tomb. He sees the linen that was there holding, that had been holding the body of Jesus, and it's just there with no body, and he can only wonder. No one is having any experiences of love, of transformation, or any experiences of spirituality. In fact, they are confused and they are scared. And the message of the two men, maybe angels, standing there at the tomb is this. He is not here. He is risen. The message was not, his spirit is not here. The message was not, the idea of Jesus is no longer here. The message was not even, his presence is not here. The message was, he is not here. He is risen. The Jesus you saw, the Jesus you knew, the Jesus you heard, the Jesus you touched, the full and real Jesus is not in this tomb. He is alive. And later that evening, as the disciples were gathered together in, in a room, kind of locked away in fear and confusion of what was going on, it says Jesus stands among them. He appears to them. He comes to them. The Jesus that they saw killed, the Jesus that they saw buried, and Luke tells it like this. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, they didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? You know, Jesus is really spiritual. Really, you know, that's, that's one of his great teachings right there. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. You see, there's an emphasis on Jesus in the body. 
There is a Jesus to be seen and touched, and he emphasizes himself. He's not a ghost. He's not an angel. He's not a spirit. And even after touching his physical body, they still just don't get it because of amazement. So Jesus eats something. He eats something to show he's risen in the body. That's what you do. When you want to prove you're risen from the dead, you eat some broiled fish. Fish is the food of resurrected people. Now, someone may think, you know, the resurrection is purely inward. It's purely a spiritual experience, but that's not what the Gospels say. And you have to explain away the resurrection to make the Gospels say something different. You can disagree, but you can't say they don't say that. The early church, I don't think, would have spoken of resurrection if they wanted to say that the idea of Jesus was still with us. But it was the resurrection they proclaimed, going even through danger, even at the cost of their lives, to say this is true. And I don't think the Christian church would have come into being and it wouldn't spread and be as strong and large as it is today if it was just the idea of Jesus that people believed. Jesus resurrected from the dead is not an easy sell. You know, you think about it. It's not the type of thing you go around and people are just going to start, you know, wolfing down. I mean, do you feel sorry for me? It makes no sense to preach and testify to something so difficult if it didn't happen. I mean, there are easier, there are more acceptable and more comfortable gods and messages to come with than this. A lot more easier things than the God we got in resurrection. And if Jesus did not die and rise, then you know what? His death has no more meaning than my death or your death. It's nothing to proclaim. But those who were there, those who were there certainly felt it was worth staking their whole lives on. They not only believed life was worth living, but they had the audacity to proclaim it publicly. That death was no longer to be feared and it was no longer the ultimate power in this universe. And for some reason, people took them seriously. Now why might that be? The resurrection of God. The victory over the greatest enemy known to humankind. That someone had not just survived, but someone had actually experienced death and come out on the other side. It's absolutely staggering. It is out of control. And it doesn't fit into any of our medical journals or our scholarly periodicals or philosophies of religious gurus or sociological paradigms or anybody else's previous experience. It's beyond parable or metaphor. The problem with those who explain away the resurrection is that they make Jesus too small. I said that sadly it's modern day religion that's at the forefront of this. Maybe you've heard of a group of Bible scholars, that, a small group called the Jesus Seminar. They gather once a year to vote amongst themselves on what they think Jesus actually said in the Gospels, which should tell you something right there. And the Jesus Seminar has held more than one media press conference to announce it to anyone who will listen, and the media is always willing to listen, that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. This is just parabolic. This is just metaphorical language that is being used. You know what? They have tamed the real and the radical Jesus. They have... They have shrinked him and reduced Jesus to some kind of manageable size. They have made sure that he's a little easier to swallow, a little easier for everybody to digest. 
I'm not sure a more understandable, easier to swallow, tamed Jesus is worth my life. I don't know if an easier to swallow Jesus is worth my time or my worship. Dorothy Sayers, who was uh, the English mystery writer, maybe some of you have read some of her novels, she said that to make Easter into something that no longer startles, shocks, terrifies, or excites us is to crucify the Son of God afresh. And then she said this. She said, we have very efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates, that's an old English term for for, for pastors, ministers, and pious old ladies. By the way, no offense to the old ladies of our churches. I think they're tops. I think, I think if without them, we don't have a lot. They are backbone. But Yes, we contain the whole resurrection thing. We can. Here's another writer. He's still with us today. His name is Frederick Beekner. Notice I have to go from the theologian, so I'm going to go to the writers, okay? Very keen observation, I think, he makes. He says, we can say that the story of the resurrection means simply that the teaching of Jesus are immortal, like the plays of Shakespeare or the music of Beethoven, and that their wisdom and truth will live on forever. Or we can say that the resurrection means the spirit of Jesus is undying, that he himself lives on among us, the way that Socrates does, for instance, in the good that he left behind him in the lives of all who follow his great example. Or we can say that the language in which the Gospels describe the resurrection of Jesus is the language of poetry. And that, as such, is not to be taken literally, but is pointing to truth more profound than the literal. But in the case of the resurrection, this simply does not apply because there really is no story about the resurrection in the New Testament. Do you ever think about that? except in the most fragmentary way, it's not described at all. There's no poetry about it. Instead, it is simply proclaimed as fact. Christ is risen. In fact, the very existence of the New Testament itself proclaims it. And then he says this, unless something very real indeed took place on that strange, confused morning, there would be no New Testament, no church, no Christianity. Yet we try to reduce it to poetry anyway. The coming of spring with the return of life to the dead earth. The rebirth of hope in the despairing soul. We try to suggest that these are the miracles that the resurrection is all about, but they are not. In their own way, they're miracles, but they're not this miracle. This central one to which the whole Christian faith points. I'll be the first to say that if it isn't true, go and do as you please. Go and do as you please. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And don't ask me to come next Sunday. I don't need this. There are easier, there are much more self-gratifying beliefs than having to die to yourself and to give yourself to someone who was both God and man who died and is now still alive. But you know, this is what Christianity preaches. And that's what we heard Paul say in those words from 1 Corinthians 15 that we joined in in that affirmation of faith. By by this gospel, we are saved. Saved from death, ultimately, and its ultimate effects on us. Ultimately. 
matters in this life, but it certainly matters after this life is done. We may find ourselves dying from an incurable disease. That may be you right now. We may die instantaneously from a heart attack or a massive stroke. We don't know. We may just be getting on in years and we know, you know what, the end of my days are coming. We may be a victim of some natural disaster or the bad decision of someone else that costs us our life or some fluke thing that happens that takes our life. We may live many, many full healthy years yet. But we're all dying. And we're all going to be claimed by death in one way or another. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in it we are saved. That God has come in his love and his mercy and intervened in this world. That we will share in a resurrection like Christ no matter how our life ends. The Christian message, the Christian church, everything falls or stands on this. It says in this message we take our stand. We take our stand. You have to put your feet somewhere. You don't have to agree with this. God doesn't force anybody to believe it. You can throw it out. But you know what? Every one of us in our lives have to take a stand for what we say. This is ultimately true and this is ultimately real in this world. Something is worth staking your life upon. And Paul says we take our stand in this gospel. And he said, this message is of first importance. It is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to more than 500 people. He was seen, he was heard, he was touched. If the theologians can't handle it, let others proclaim it. And maybe that's why Jesus came in exactly the way he did and just kind of bypassed all the pastors and the Bible teachers and the theologians and went to the fishermen and the prostitutes, and the tax collectors, and the Presbyterians. (laughs) So here's how how one writer, novelist, poet, maybe you've heard his name, John John Updike, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, which just for the record, that's two more than I've won. (laughs) This is the way John Updike said to think about the resurrection of Christ. Make no mistake, If he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh. Ours, the same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable. A sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back. Not paper mache. Not a stone in a story. But the vast rock of materiality. That in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. 
And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel. Weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty. Lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. It's not a day for embarrassment. Let's not make it any less monstrous. It's a day for joy and worship. It's not a day to mock God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is massive. It is much larger than you and I can ever comprehend, much larger than I'll ever be able to poignantly put into words or any other preacher. But something better be big if we're going to give our lives to it and bank every breath in our eternity on it. Because that was what the apostles proclaimed to the world. And though we have wasted it and watered it down and messed it up in a million different ways, that's still the message. This Jesus is worth giving your life to. He is worthy of your worship and your love in a way that nothing else is. Let him show up and enter your life. You know, he's been known to do so uninvited anyway. Don't assume he's not around or can't be found or that he isn't seeking you. This is a Jesus who shakes me up and he's bigger than my own little religion or anyone else's for that matter. This is the Jesus who is alive and has power to touch me and change me and walk me through any hardship I will ever go through. It is not a parable. It is an empty tomb and a body that is alive. It is the power and the glory of God. Amen.